Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Luke 16. Pastor Jackson's going to stay with me through the scripture in our title, verse number 19. I want to say this very quickly. If, if, if <clears throat> I believe that it is the will of God for you to be in this room. I believe that you are in the perfect will of God right now. I've been trying to preach this message for months, and the Spirit of God has not granted me the liberty to do so, and I believe everybody that is in the room is supposed to be in the room. And so if, if this is your first time, or this is your first time in a long time, whatever the case may be, uh, or you're here every Sunday, or you are supposed to not be here today, but you are, listen, this is the will of God for you to hear this word today. And uh, I want you to pray for me as we preach it and we navigate the text. Luke 16 and verse number 19. Jesus gave us the following story. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now this is not to be confused with the Lazarus of John chapter 11. This Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Today I want to follow the storytelling of Jesus and I want to preach on this thought, let's go to hell. Let's go to hell. Netflix released an original series about five years ago that was created by the Duffer Brothers called Stranger Things. There is a theme woven throughout that series, very creative, very sci-fi, and also, if you know your Bible, it's very sinister. There's a theme that correlates with something that we would call cosmic geography. Cosmic geography is the idea that everywhere physically on our terrain in this planet, there is also a spiritual dimension that is overlaid or mirrors the very physical dimension that you and I experience. In Stranger Things, they call it the upside down. The equivalent of this would be that in the show, this room would be exactly like it is in our physical reality. But there's also a spiritual reality that overlaps this and mirrors it. And we would be, uh, we would be ignorant of that spiritual reality because our vision is veiled. But if you could remove that veil and you could put on a pair of lenses where you could see into the unseen and the unnatural, you would see the supernatural realm that is around us. And in the, in the show Stranger Things, this spiritual realm is very sinister. It's very dark. This, this room would be very cloudy. It would be overrun with all kind of matter in regards to the spiritual that would you and I would uh, relate it to 
dark or or demonic or devilish, and there would be entities that would make up this spiritual dimension that you and I would encounter not in the physical dimension that you and I operate and live in. This is the theme that correlates throughout the show, Stranger Things. It's so interesting to me how accurate Hollywood is getting it. And you really have to ask yourself and wonder, I wonder where they get their sources from. I wonder where they're getting their input and their read because they're really doing a good job of mirroring the scriptural and the supernatural in terms of cosmic geography. I believe there's many writers who have come on the scene in the last decade that are very prominent, one being Michael Heiser, who really does a good job depicting what this cosmic geography is, especially in the Middle East, concerning Israel, that there are certain territories and places in the landscape of Israel, and there is a physical domain that is anchored in the unseen by a spiritual domain. I don't have time to unpack that, but what I want you to understand is on our planet and in our universe, I believe there is a convergence of both realms, the physical and the spiritual. There is coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, where both will be one and the same. Let me submit to you this morning that humanity, in all of its religions, ponders the possible bliss and splendor of a place called heaven. But people shun the idea of a horrible, dreaded place where souls are in anguish for all eternity. I came today with my Bible to set the record straight because there are so many general and specific misconceptions about the afterlife in regards to hell. Is it true? Is there really a place called hell? Does it currently exist right now? Is there a location somewhere in the spiritual domain in the kingdom of darkness, where souls are being tortured and tormented day and night in an awful place called hell. I submit to you, it's hard to confront, but we have to do our job as the church and address the realities about death, biblical afterlife, and even the eternal side of hell. Can I submit to you that Jesus talked about hell or afterlife punishment far more than he did about heaven? Sadly, it is no, it is no question in our day and age whether or not this is a reality. Satan has numbed our senses to these spiritual truths. Hollywood has been doling our fears over these horrors for decades. Society mocks and frowns upon the concept of everlasting punishment. And to top it all off and make matters worse, weak, anemic Christian teachings have diluted the hard truths about what hell really is. Let me say this, as amazing as heaven will be, equally terrifying hell will be. Can we allow the storytelling of our Messiah? Can we allow the depiction of Luke 16 to take us into a journey? A journey into hell itself. For there are lessons and principles that you and I need to observe and learn in Luke chapter 16. Jesus takes us to hell with a gripping story about a rich man and a beggar. Both die and both enter into eternally. And listen, I do not believe this was a parable. I do not believe this was merely some kind of theological illustration. I believe this was an actual story because actual stories that Jesus told, they say the word certain, specifying an individual, and they even name characters. This was not a parable. It was an actual event. It really did happen. It is a true story. And today I want us to look at Luke 16, and I want to make some observations collectively in this room that we may leave challenged and hopefully Change. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. Are you ready to learn your Bible this morning? Luke chapter 16. Number one, I want you to view hell as an eternal destination. 
I want you to see it as an eternal destination. Let me say this very quickly. Everyone eventually dies. Everyone eventually dies. The Bible says in verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless of how someone lives or how long someone lives, they are going to eventually die. Let me say that to you. No matter how you live your life, good, bad, right, wrong, spiritually or unspiritually, saved or lost, churched or unchurched, preacher's kid or not a preacher's kid, pastor or not a pastor, worship leader or not a worship leader, member or not a member, black, white, male or female, you are going to die. And no matter how long you live, if Jesus tarries in his coming, you are going to die. It's interesting that Luke 16 teaches us a very wise principle about life and death. And that is that death is the ultimate equalizer of all humanity. It doesn't matter what you have in this life or what you lack in this life. Death is going to put everybody on the same playing field. Death puts everybody in the same bucket. It doesn't matter how you're classified, lower class, middle class, upper echelon of the crust of America and society. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to end up on the same level. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It don't matter what you drive. It don't matter what you wear. I don't care where you work. I don't care if you're five figures, six figures, seven figures. I don't care what your retirement plan looks like. I don't care how big your nest egg is. I don't care what you come into this world with. I don't care what you leave this world with. My Bible teaches me that death is the ultimate equalizer for all of humanity. It was for these two because you have a man who was rich and you have a man who was poor. You had a man who had plenty and you had a man who was begging. And the Bible says when they died, none of that stuff mattered. They both died and they both went to the same place. Did you hear me? Oh, I'm going to mess with you right here. They both went to the same place. Everybody immediately goes somewhere when they die. The moment your heart stops beating and your lungs stop breathing, the moment your brain shuts off and your body and your life cease to exist, you immediately go somewhere. Luke 16 tells us that people that die and are going to hell go there immediately. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that believers immediately upon death, he talks about death in the tense of the body being or the life being dissolved. He uses the word dissolved. The moment that this body comes to cease in existence, you are present with the Lord because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let me say this about the unbelieving and the unsaved. To be absent from the body is to be present in eternity. Just like that. You close your eyes, and the next moment you wake up somewhere else. Verse 23, it says, in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Let me say this very quickly. Here's the real deal. Hell is an actual place. You can't dig there. You can't dive there. It doesn't have an address. It doesn't have a latitude or a, longer, a longitude. Hell is an ultimate alternate realm that is non-terrestrial in nature, but it is very much an actual place. Let me say this to you this morning. Hell is very real. In a sense, it is more real than this room. Because this is only one dimension. This is a physical dimension. We have not yet converged with physical and spiritual dimensions at the same time. We see glimpses of that in the Old Testament. God did particular things at particular times. Jesus, after his resurrection, showed us of what it looks like when a spiritual realm begins to interact with a physical realm. But we have not yet got to the timeline in God's plan where we actually have the convergence of both realms happening simultaneously and the physical and the spiritual become one. Let me say this. There is coming a day where that is going to happen. And when it 
does, you will realize that hell was more real than this room, this temperature, that seat, your clothes, my sermon, these lights, this altar, and this very moment. Hell is that real. Now here's what's crazy. Luke 16, when Jesus told this story, Jesus started his earthly ministry and was baptized at 30 years old. He died around 33, 33 and a half. Somewhere between 30 and 33, Jesus told this story. It was approximately 27, 28 AD when he told this story. At the time Jesus told this story, everyone who died went to hell. Everyone who died at that time went to hell. The New Testament was written in Greek. When you translate it into the English language, we get the word hell. But the actual word in the Greek in Luke 16 that we call hell is called Hades. Some of us are familiar with Hades from learning about Greek mythology. Hades was known as a place that on one side was punishment, the other side was paradise. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. In Luke 16, when somebody died at that time, both the believing and the unbelieving went to Hades. They both died in the story, and they both went in the story. In Hades, the rich man was in punishment, and Lazarus was in paradise which is called Abraham's bosom. Abraham, the founding father of the Jewish people. So this paradise, coincidentally and very specifically, was referenced as Abraham's bosom or Abraham's place of embrace. The rich man who had it all his whole life died and went to Hades in punishment. The beggar who did without died and went to paradise. There is something interesting to note from the story of Jesus that the listeners picked up on that we cannot overlook today. The rich man was unnamed. And because he was unnamed, it signifies that he was unknown to God. He was a Jew who made his boasting in his tradition and religion. And from all accounts, the Pharisees, the religious crowd of that day, was being punched in the chest by what Jesus said because in their mind, he was Jewish. Therefore, he inherited with a godly heritage eternal life. And the blessing of God was evident because he fared sumptuously every day. That's like eating Ruth Chris for breakfast. You understand me? The man had it made. He lived like this every day. So by their standards, he would have definitely been a benefactor that would have went to paradise. But instead, Jesus tells us something very important. He was unnamed, therefore he was unknown. However, the man who did without, the man who was covered in sores, the man whose best friend were canine, The man who begged for scraps of bread that fell from the rich man's table and had not a pillow or a place in which he could lay his head. The Bible says that his name was Lazarus, meaning that because he was named, he was known to God. I like the fact that even in this life, he may have been someone we said did without and lacked and did not have sufficient adequacy and provision, but the Bible says that when he gave up the ghost, and he died that when he opened his eyes he was in a place of blessing and favor and mercy and grace I like the testimony of Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 because he would say in this life I was poor and broken and suffering but in the life to come I had a God who knew my name and he preserved me he protected me and he brought me in to a place of paradise can I submit to you that it all is going to come down to who knows your name 
I'm not interested whether or not society knows my name. I don't care if the political landscape of our county ever knows my name. I don't care if the who's who of Banks and Habersham and Jackson County ever know my name. The only thing that matters to me, whether I do with or without in this life, is I've got a God that looked ahead in time. He saw me in my sin, and he gave his life's blood for me that I might know him in the full pardon of salvation. Can I Can I go? on a praise break and tell you without a doubt I know that he knows my name I wonder if I got anybody and new grace that would help me rejoice I know that he knows my name I know my name is there in the Lamb's book of life. You might not ever see it in marquee lights. You might not ever see it promoted on Facebook, but I know that my name is there. He wrote it down. It's recorded forever. It's settled in heaven. Somebody help me rejoice. Rejoice. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. The Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire because of Jesus at my second birth and yours too. Your name will be found on that great day. Unnamed, unknown. Named, known. Hell is an eternal destination. But Jesus goes on to tell us that as we visit hell, we view hell in its biblical description. This is the part that most people want to hear about because they want to know what is hell like? Hell's a real place. I'm convinced of it, but what's it really like? Well, Jesus tells us that hell is a place of suffering. He said in verse 23, in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torments. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, see, see, look at him, clinging to his Jewish heritage. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and said Lazarus. This is interesting. What a, what a horrible misconception to have about the afterlife. That he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I wonder what you're going to do with that verse if you subscribe to the theological position that eternal destiny in hell is equivalent to what we call annihilation, where you just cease to exist. In other words, hell is going to a place in time and the dimension of eternity where you, soul, body, and spirit, just vanish. No, no suffering, no pain, no anguish, no regret, no screaming, no horror, no psychological, emotional, mental, or physical torment. You just cease to exist. What do you do with what Jesus said about the rich man that was tormented specifically in this flame. If you set somebody on fire, their body will enter a state of shock where their sensory, the, the, the sensory receptiveness in their body will go numb to the feeling of the flame. But in a glorified state, or here we go, in a celestial state, you have a forever body. You are not wired in your body in hell to go in and out of consciousness. Imagine being in a state of alert consciousness where you're on fire and it doesn't go out. I, burnt, I, I had the faucet on in our bathroom, and the water was scalding hot. And it burned my hand. I didn't know how hot it was. And it burned the mess out of my hand. And immediately, I pulled it out. Imagine being consumed in the hottest fire to ever exist and not being able to pull out. 
I don't understand these theologians who say that when you go into hell, you deal with annihilationism, which is where you just cease to exist. It's not biblical. He said that he was in a fire. Fire always signifies and points to God's wrath and God's judgment. And people that go to hell go there because they rejected Jesus as the payment for their sin. You don't go to hell because you're a bad person. You don't go to hell because you struggle with particular habits and addictions. You go to hell when you want to pay for your own sin. When you say, I see what God did for my sin, and I see that's the only means to be accepted by the Father, saved by the Father, and taken to heaven with the Father, but I would rather try my own hand of righteousness, my own hand at my own deeds, and my own hand at my religious performance. Put it on my tab when Jesus already put it on his. The Bible teaches and tells us that hell is a place of suffering. There is no suffering in this life like suffering in hell in the afterlife. Jesus says it's a place of supplication. Hell is a place that has more prayers being prayed than any church service on the planet. It says he cried out in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Abraham said, son, don't you remember that in your lifetime you had all those good things and Lazarus had nothing but evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented? See, this place of supplication in hell is a place where people are not just burning, but it's a place where people are begging. The rich man even goes to say that Abraham is his father. Again, pointing to his Jewish heritage and boasting. And then here's what really floors me. Look at this. The rich man even has the audacity to request for Lazarus to come bring him comfort. Even in the afterlife, he still thinks that Lazarus is below him. Still his servant. And he's somehow superior to Lazarus who is on the paradise side of Hades. Send him to just take a drop of water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this, fl- in this flame. And he's begging and he can't make it stop. He's begging and he can't get a break. He's begging and, and, and there's no relief or release. He's begging and he can't get out. And here's, here's the thing that's so horrible about Hades. The only time you come out is after Jesus raptures the church after the tribulation appeared with the Antichrist, after the wrath of God is poured out on humanity, after Jesus Christ and the saints reign for a thousand years, Satan is loosed out for a season. And then there is a scene in Revelation 20 called the White Throne Judgment where God himself sits upon the throne and every person who died in unbelief apart from Christ stands in judgment to give an account of every sin they ever committed. The only break you get from hell is to come out, stand before God in judgment, knowing that you're about to go right back in. Your mind, your mind can't fathom this for a second, for a second. Young man, God help me. Listen, disconnect from everything the world and Hollywood's put in your head. They've never scraped the surface on this reality. Listen to me. If you die and go to hell, you're going to remember this sermon for all of eternity. You're going to remember my face. You'll remember the lights. You'll remember the temperature. You're going to remember everything about this moment in this room, and you're going to have it on repeat and replay, and you're going to be sitting there screaming and begging, and I can't help you. I can't save you because we're not together. And your parents may not be with you, and your friends may not be with you, and your mom and your dad, your your children may not be with you. The person you spent 30 years with on this planet may not be with you. And the horrible thing that makes hell, hell, is knowing you come out and stand in front of the God you said no to, only to be cast back in forever with no break and no way out. It's interesting that in hell, or in the afterlife, the rich man and Lazarus switch places. The rich man is now the beggar, and Lazarus is now the rich man. 
I don't let this life determine or dictate my eternal worth. Because I can have low spots on this planet. And I can have places in this life where it might look on the surface like God's favor isn't on my life. God's favor isn't on my life or on your life based on your works, your righteousness, or your good deeds. My God, somebody ought to help me right there. The only reason you're going to heaven and not going to hell is because Jesus paid the price, went through hell on the cross, and made a way for you to go to heaven. Somebody help me give him praise if you believe that. I want to unpack this quickly. Jesus, when he gave us a biblical description of hell, he said it was a place of suffering and supplication. But here's, here's I think, is the, the, the most horrible part of hell is that Jesus describes hell or Hades as a place of separation. Verse 23, he lifted up his eyes, the rich man being in hell or being in torments. And look at this, he saw Abraham afar off and he saw Lazarus in his bosom. Now we get clarification in verse 26 with Abraham's response to the rich man's request. In verse 26, he said, look, beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf, and it's fixed. So everybody on that side can't come over here. And everybody on this side can't come over here. Hence, punishment on one side, paradise on the other. And what this was in Hades, this separation, this place of banishment, was pointing ahead in time to an eternal state where men and women would be eternally separated and banished from God. That's what this chasm represents. But it's what actually happened in Hades in our story. Let me teach you something. Hell doesn't look like that anymore. For the longest time, it was punishment on one side, and paradise on the other. And everyone that rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everyone that rejected Yahweh, that he would send a Messiah to save his people from their sins, they died and went to punishment, awaiting eternal judgment. Everybody that looked to Yahweh in belief and believed that God would send a Messiah to save his people from their sins, here's something interesting. In 2023, we look back to the coming of Jesus for salvation. But in the Old Testament, they look forward to the coming of a Christ for their salvation. And everyone that died believing in Yahweh as the one true God went to paradise. But in 2023, there are no believers in paradise. So someone has to ask the question, how did the paradise side of hell or Hades get emptied out? When Jesus died, <laughs> he was dead for three days and three nights. And if it wasn't for the enlightening revelation of the New Testament writers, we wouldn't know where Jesus went. <laughs> See, while his body lie in the grave. Oh, when his body lied in the borrowed tomb of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. See, it was borrowed because he wouldn't need it but three days and three nights. While he was dead, the Bible teaches us in Acts 2, 27 and 31, look at what Peter said in the Pentecostal sermon, referencing a psalm that pointed to Jesus, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 31, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Jesus died. Watch this. I'm about to teach you something. Jesus died and when he went down he went below Hades oh he would go to Hades but it wasn't his first stop it was stop number two on a trip the first step Jesus went below Hades to the lowest place of hell called Tartarus 
Tar- oh, stay with me, baby bird. I'm about to feed you. Tartarus means the deepest abyss of hell. And Tartarus was reserved for the angels who were associated with the sin in Genesis chapter 6. When the sons of God came down and impregnated the daughters of men, creating a giant Nephilim race, it was Satan's plan and attempt to hijack the human race to corrupt the bloodline. God, to corrupt the bloodline of humanity so that the so that the seed of the woman could never come about as a Christ or Messiah and crush the head of the serpent. So Satan has had every attempt with a genocide, abortion, and every attempt to annihilate the human race because he knew that the seed of the woman, who would be the seed of Abraham, which would be the seed, capital S, of David, who would be Jesus the Christ would spoil and triumph and destroy the works of darkness. Are you with me? Second Peter chapter 2, 4. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to, Greek word is Tartarus, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Jude 1, 6. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Notice what it said. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Where did Jesus go when he first went down to hell? He bypassed Hades. He went to Tartarus. Why did he go down there and visit the angels who sinned in Genesis chapter 6? Peter tells us in chapter 3 and 18 of his epistle, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison. When Jesus died, he descended below Hades, went to Tartarus, went down there, started shaking the gates of all those angelic prison cells and preached. I wonder what he preached on. I wonder what he said to every one of those foul spirits that attempted to thwart the plan of God concerning the seed of the woman. I wonder if he went down there and he looked at all them devils in the eye and he said, I was the one y'all were trying to stop. I was the one y'all were trying to kill. I was the one y'all were trying to destroy. In fact, all your buddies upstairs thought that I was going to be finished because they just nailed my bloodied, broken body to a cross and threw me into a tomb. But if you want to know the truth, the timer started the moment I stepped down here. And in three days and three nights, I'm grabbing the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and I'm going to rise again. And when I get up and go to heaven, I'm taking some people with me. My creative, complex imagination has always saw this. On the paradise side, I guess I got a movie mindset, but I've always saw it like some big old elevator shaft that ran from this world down into Hades. Now, all them, all them believers on the paradise side, all them Old Testament believers, all of them, Adam and Eve are there, Noah and his family, and Moses, all the Old Testament judges and prophets and kings, they're all down there waiting to see who's going to get off the elevator because they've heard that he's coming. They've heard that one day Messiah comes. The Christ is coming. And every time that elevator light lights up and the doors open up, they're all looking with expectation to see who's going to step off the elevator. And it's just one Old Testament saint after another one. Some Old Testament believer, a man or woman, gets off that elevator and they just rejoice knowing that they're not going to Hades punishment, knowing that they'll never see the chains of darkness, know that they'll never be in the suffering of the fire and the worm that dieth not. And one day they saw that elevator shaft light up and the arrow set down, and instead of the doors opening up at their floor, it just kept on going down. 
And they didn't know what to think of that because in all the years in history that they sat there on that floor in paradise, they never one time saw the elevator go all the way down. About as sure as it went down, about five minutes later, they saw the arrow go up. And they thought, whoever went down is about to come up. And the elevator got to their floor, but to their surprise, it just kept on going up. They thought, surely, that must have been somebody important that went all the way downstairs. Because don't nobody go down there and never come back. So whoever that is, that's an important person. They saw the elevator go up. Then the light came down, and it runs back down, and the doors open up, and everybody's looking with great expectation, and a man comes flying out of that elevator. He's running. He's jumping. He's looking. Oh, my God, can you believe this? This is crazy. Is this, is this paradise? Is this paradise? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But well, who are you? Who, 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 who are you? Oh my God! I can't, I'm actually here. I can't believe I made it. I cannot believe I made it. And they're like, whoa, whoa, hey man, whoa, what happened to your hands? Let me let me see your hands. And he had these, he had a prince right here in his hands, and he had these nail prints in his feet. And they said, wait a minute, who are you? We 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 had some prophecies about something like this. Isaiah talked about something like this by looking upon him. They've pierced. Who who, who are you? He said, it don't matter who I am. He said, I, 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 was, I, I was just on a cross. I was just on a cross, me and my buddy. We, got, we were guilty of thievery. We, we, were, we were caught stealing. And, and, and we were guilty as charged. And those Roman soldiers put us on a cross. And then they came to us with a bone axe and hit us in the knees. And we could no longer push up to catch our breath. And we suffocated. I died. I just, I just, I just died. I just died up there. But I, I, I need to know where he is. They said, what are you talking about? They said, I need to know where he is the guy that was on the middle cross the one in the middle the one the one that looked at me when I called him Lord I called him Lord and I said when you come into your kingdom remember me and he looked at me and he said today not tomorrow not next week not next year not after you join the church not after you do some good deeds not after you get baptized he looked at me and he said today thou shalt be with me in paradise he said, is this paradise? They said, it is. He said, well, I need to know where he's at. They said, you need to chill out. Everybody that gets off that elevator signs in the guest book. The host of Hades opened the guest book and handed him the pen of eternity. He went over and he wrote down his name, Thief on the Cross. He looked up the list of all the Old Testament saints, flipping through the pages, all those that had died and went on before, turned it back to his, put the bookmarker down and walked away and said, I need to know where Jesus is. We said, we don't know who you're talking about. We never had nobody get off that elevator called Jesus. He said, let me tell you this. When he gets off that elevator, whenever he shows up, me and him are going to look a whole lot alike except he's going to have one more scar right here. And you'll know it when he gets off because there ain't ever been nobody get off that elevator like the one I just talked to. And about that time, the elevator door closes, the light goes down, and the elevator drops. Everybody's looking with great anticipation as the light switches back on up and they hear the cables and that shaft moving, that elevator rises up. It gets to the top and all of a sudden those doors open and the very moment the doors begin to crack, there's a bright light that exceeds the brightness of the sun that comes beaming through those cracked doors and it fills all of Hades with the radiant brightness of his glory. And everybody says, oh my, that's got to be him. That's got to be the one they prophesied about. That's got to be the one they preached about. That's got to be the one that the scriptures foretold and promised. That's got to be him. And all of a sudden, somebody steps off that elevator shaft like nobody else ever had. Jesus walks off of that elevator and everybody hits their face and every name and every tongue begins to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm talking you ain't never 
never seen a pep rally. You ain't never been to a party. You ain't never been to a revival or a camp meeting. You ain't never seen nobody shout. You ain't never seen nobody get happy. You ain't never seen nobody go to church like they did that day in Hades when Jesus stepped in the room. If you think we have in church now, you should have been there when he stepped in. He walks in the room and they said, oh my, it's him, it's him, it's him. The one who died to save us from our sins. The one who came. He who was dead and is alive and lives forevermore. He went over to the guest book of Hades and he wrote, I am. (laughs) I am that I am. And then in parentheses next to his name, he put checking out in three days. (laughs) You ain't hearing me. You ain't hearing me. He said checking out in three days. You need to wake up this morning, New Grace. I said he's checking out in three days. Jesus died and he went to hell. Tartarus and Hades. And the Bible teaches us that he took captivity and led them captive. And the same one that descended is the one that ascended. And he took them to heaven. The first people to go into the eternal state of heaven prior to the new Jerusalem and the new heaven to enter the eternal bliss of heaven. Some might call it the third heaven. Jesus took the very first group with him and he left Hades vacant. And today, many scholars think from a cosmic geography point of view that Hades is located in the center of the earth. And it mirrors spiritually and physically and the dimension of the underworld in the center of earth. And right now, Hades is filled up on one side And either they running over the edge or they started dropping them on this side too. Here's the thought. The hell that is right now will not be the final state of hell. The hell that is right now is called Hades. The hell in Luke 12.5, is it 12.5? But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into Gehenna. Gehenna is what you and I would liken to of Revelation 20, the lake of fire. Hell is the ultimate separation from God. Do you know who goes to hell? Whoever wants to. Hell doesn't choose you. You choose hell. Because you know what you wanted in this life? You wanted to live a life separated from God. So you'll get an eternal life separated from God. That's what hell is. You know what's worse than the fire? The demons? The inability to go in and out of consciousness? The fact that there is never a day or a moment where you find relief. You know what makes hell hell? A world without God. In heaven, there's greater rewards for the more you did with what you were given. We don't ever think about this. There's Varying degrees of punishment, not for your sin, but to whom much is given, much is required. And I submit this to you. For the voodoo doctor in Haiti that's going to open his eyes in hell when he dies, hell will be a hundred times hotter for every person in this room that rejects Jesus and dies without him in this life. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Hell would be hotter for me and Pastor Jeff and a few others than anybody else in this room. 
Hell will be harder for our kids if they reject Jesus and go there than most of the other kids in this room. Hell will be harder for our corporate team if they reject Jesus and die and go to hell than most of the other members in this room. Hell will be hotter to the people who've been preached to their whole life and prayed over their whole life. Hell is hotter for the people to whom much is given, much was required. The worst thing about hell that makes hell hell is being separated from God. You wanted a life without Him. You'll get one for all eternity. I'm not talking about being able to see across the gap because that hell's temporary. That hell, Hades, has an expiration date on it. But Gehenna, when you think of hell, when Hollywood tries to depict hell, and art tries to depict hell, and Dante goes out on his creative limb to depict hell in his writings, they're thinking of Gehenna, the lake of fire, where the devil, the false prophet, the antichrist, and every unbelieving soul is banished for all eternity. Here's the deal. Hell wasn't made for you. Heaven was. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But Jesus also told us that hell was made for the devil and his angels. So if you don't want to go to heaven with God, you've got one destination, and I've already given you its description. And there ain't no sermon. There ain't no TED Talk. I can get on my knees and grab you by the hands and beg you not to go there. But if you go, it's because you choose to. And Jesus went through hell so you don't have to go. And he paid for your sin. I'm not going to stand in front of God at the white throne judgment. That ain't my judgment. That ain't my judgment. I'm not standing in front of God to see if my name is in the book. I'm not, I'm not going. I'm not going to be there. That's not for me. My judgment already got judged. My sin already got paid for. On the cross is when my sin got paid for. When did yours get paid for? Has it been paid for? Or are you going to pay for it? I am banking, resting, trusting fully on what Jesus did for me to pay for my sin. And I will not spend eternity separated from God. I will spend eternity with him because Jesus went through hell so I don't have to go there. Let's give him praise in this house. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.